Hey, what's up, nerds? Jake Steele here. Thank you all very much for tuning in once again this week. Uh, per usual, I have a fantastic story to share with you all. It is a reader-listener submitted story. We'll get to that here in just one second. Uh, first things first, please, wherever you are listening to this podcast, make sure you're following. Make sure you're subscribed, uh, both here and on the website. Website is ironandsteel.com. Uh, on that subject, if you are just stumbling onto this podcast, if you're new here or maybe you're just um, prone to forgetfulness or some sort of alcohol-induced uh, amnesia, no judgment from me, but uh, I'll give you a, uh, a quick little refresher how this works. Um, basically, every Tuesday morning is a fresh podcast episode. In most cases, I'm telling stories that are submitted uh, by listeners. Uh, to the podcast and readers of the site. So every Tuesday, a fresh new story uh, to tell you here. And then uh, that story always corresponds with an article on the site. Um, the articles always include photos and all sorts of other good stuff that uh, doesn't quite come through here on the podcast. So theoretically, um, and maybe in an ideal world, you could, uh, after you get done listening to me tell you the story, you could log on to the site. Uh, and check it out firsthand. Look at the photos and uh, all that good stuff. So that's kind of the deal there. On that subject, like I said, most of the time I'm telling your guys' stories. So don't be shy. If you have a story, if you have a story that is old car related, hot rod related, uh, in any way, uh, it it doesn't have to be anything specific. Doesn't have to be about a car. It can be about an event. It can be like uh, this week's story is about a, a bitchin' little road trip through Utah. Um, it could be an experience. Uh, it could be about a person. The only thing it needs to be is somehow old car related uh, and important or significant to you in some way. That's literally the only criteria. Uh, if you have a story you want me to tell, you want me to share here on the podcast and uh, on the site, sit down, punch it out. Uh, you can email me, jake at ironandsteel.com. And uh, yeah, same thing if you have questions, comments, topics you want me to cover at the end of every little story, the end of this podcast, uh, we always do a QA. and a That's a lot of fun too. So yeah, if you have comments, questions, uh, grievances, dirty jokes, whatever, don't be shy. Send them through jake at ironandsteel.com. Basically, whatever you send me, um, I'll, I'll share it here and, uh, and on the website. So don't forget to do that. Uh, like I mentioned, this week is uh, like they usually are uh, a story sent to me by a listener to the podcast and uh, reader of the website, Chris Kiernan. Uh, it is called A Scenic Drive Through Utah. We'll get to that here in one second. It's a great little story. Uh, when we get done with that, we'll do, of course, the Q&A like we talked about. I'm going to also, this week, I'm going to give you a little follow-up um, to a story, I don't know, maybe a four or five podcast episodes ago. Um, I told you about an event that uh, hadn't happened yet. It was just about to happen at the time of the podcast. Uh, the bias applied drags. So 
I shared a story with you about the bias ply drags and uh, how it was uh, hopefully going to go. Since then, the event has happened, and uh, Frank, one of the uh, event organizers, um, was nice enough to send me uh, a little follow-up. So I'll share that with you guys. We'll do the Q&A. We're going to have so much fun. You'll be whistling zippity doo dah. You probably know the rest. All right, let's get to Chris's story. A scenic drive through Utah. This is one of those stories too. I highly recommend you go to the site. Check the article out firsthand because uh, he sent, uh, I don't know, half a dozen, not a huge amount of photos, but uh, half a dozen or so photos along with the story. And uh, they're beautiful. Utah is gorgeous. So uh, yeah, it's a great example of why you should log onto the site, check out the photos associated with the story. So yeah, don't be shy about doing that too. All right, let's get to Chris's story. Buckle up, here it is. A scenic drive through Utah. All right, dweebs, here we go. Um, it's a cool little story. Uh, my little disclaimer, you're probably familiar with it by now, but uh, just a reminder, I'm really just scrolling through the website, reading this aloud as we go. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm no pro. Don't claim to be I'm a barely literate um, <laughs> hot rod fanatic reading stories here. So the point is, if I fumble over a word here or there, I'm just going to keep on trucking. The stakes are low. Not a big deal. Uh, that said, here we go. This is a scenic drive through Utah. This is what Chris has to say. He says, on May 14th, 2021, four Ford Model A's set out on a 600 plus mile road trip to central Utah. After a small gathering at Keeler's Customs to get the day started, the 1931 21 stud flathead powered roadster owned by Jay Keel, 1930 banger-powered coupe owned by Jason Rollins, 1928 Olds Rocket J2-powered Phaeton owned by Trevor Townsend, and 1929 Cadillac-powered Tub owned by Chris Kiernan hopped on the U.S. Highway US 89 and headed south. The starting leg took them onto US-6 through Spanish Fork Canyon, which is one of the most dangerous but equally beautiful roads in Utah. The group's first stop was in Helper, Utah. This great little town is going through a revitalization of its historic Main Street, and it was great to see it firsthand. The group was given a tour of a few of the key properties that started the updates, including a motorcycle museum and an auto shop with a couple of gasser Corvettes. On the way out of town, there was a Conoco gas station that is a great place to take some car photos. And it's also an Airbnb if you wanted to stay there. 
Sherald's Frosty Freeze is a must-stop location on Main Street in price if you are passing through. These guys make it a point to stop for and frequently go out of their way to eat a hamburger while seeing new places in their hot rods. After an amazing lunch and a couple of photos with the neon sign burger joint in the background, it was time to get back on the road. With the banger powered coupe being the slowest, he opted to take up the rear and didn't want to hold anyone, didn't want to hold back the group. The Roadster, Phaeton, and Tub decided to stop some 50 miles down the road and wait for the coupe to catch back up before getting onto I-70. But after waiting for a bit, they called to find out that he was actually on the side of the road a few miles back, battling a carburetor problem. A couple of the guys were going to take the Phaeton back up to help when it decided it didn't want to start. Oh, I see. Uh, we're going to take the Phaeton back up to help when it decided it didn't want to start. I see. Okay. Uh, just part of the fun of driving 90-plus-year-old cars to the middle of nowhere. Eventually, they got both problems sorted out, everyone back together, and got back on the road to Goblin Valley State Park. Goblin Valley is one of those places that you need a little time to hike around to really enjoy. But they didn't have time since there was still 75 miles to go and they were running out of daylight. On the road and chasing daylight, they drove through a scenic part of UT24 in the dark and completely missed the scenery so one day they will need to go back and see it all over again. The rowdy group of cars pulled into the Rimrock Inn in Tory, and a few of the guests peered out of their rooms with scowls, <laughs> peered out of the rooms with scowls to see what all the commotion was. The guys had just enough time to grab dinner at the Rimrock restaurant before calling it a night. Day two got underway with the drive down Scenic Drive Road in Capitol Reef National Park. This two-lane road with minimal pull-offs seemed like the perfect place to start troubleshooting why the Roadster wasn't running right. Many of the people passing passing by would slow down or stop and ask if there was a car show somewhere. The Roadster's troubles were narrowed down to an electrical problem, and the closest auto parts store was a Napa in the next town over. So they left the Roadster and ran to the Napa that they found out had already closed for the day. But the owner was more than happy to open up and charge a premium for the parts. Back at the Roadster, 
repairs were completed and it was onto scenic byway 12. this road is one of the most scenic roads that you could possibly drive in america so it's that much better with a group of friends in hot rods there's a little bit of elevation change and the guys were greeted with some cooler temperatures and even some snow flurries along the way. The tub lost its license plate, but the guys behind him saw it and stopped to grab it. There were a few stops for some photos along the way, because you can never take enough photos in amazing places like that. Running out of daylight, the group arrived at Rainbow Point Overlook in Bryce Canyon National Park, just in time to see the sunset. In what now seems like it might have happened every day, the group takes all day to drive a couple hundred miles and finally gets to the last restaurant that is open just in time to grab dinner. Again, like Deja Vu, making their neighbors peer out of their rooms as the cars were parked. Day three started with some parking lot maintenance on the Cadillac-powered tub. It had been consuming the most gas due to some carburetor problems and running rich, so they cleaned the spark plugs since they were fouled. The guys enjoyed some breakfast and started on the trek back home. They got onto US 89, which is a very enjoyable drive through this part of the state with just enough curves and scenery to keep you in awe of the surrounding natural beauty, but also engaged in driving. The drive north was mostly uneventful. About halfway back home, the group, the group stopped for one last group photo and to say their goodbyes as they went their separate ways from approximately where they had started. The coupe and the tub had to continue north while the others went east and west. And they were caught in a downpour, which is always, which always raises the excitement level in an open car. Everyone made it back home safe and sound, some just a little bit more wet than others. While this story talked about cars, it really is about the people driving those cars and the friendships that we make along the way. As one of these guys says, quote, get busy living or get busy dying. So get your friends together and go for a drive. This event was the first year of what was, what has now become an annual thing and has grown, but there will always be a certain nostalgia for that first one. Alright guys, that was Chris's story. Please hop over to the website, check it out for yourself. There are some beautiful photos that he included. 
Utah is absolutely one of the most beautiful, scenic, gorgeous, indescribably beautiful states I have ever been to. Uh, yeah, so the photos that he included um, capture some of that it is worth checking out. So log on to ironandsteel.com, see it for yourself firsthand. Uh, it is called A Scenic Drive Through Utah. First article, top of the first page. Go check it out. So probably four or five years ago, uh, I went to Bonneville. And then after Bonneville, I went from there. Uh, I drove all the way to Oklahoma to pick up a car or no, a truck. 34 Ford pickup that I had bought and it was in Oklahoma. I had to go pick it up. So I made like a seven or 10 day trip out of it. I don't remember exactly what it was. Probably a week, eight days, maybe something like that. Went to Bonneville from there, uh, started my trek all the way to Oklahoma. The route that I chose sent me through a really big chunk of Utah and it was absolutely shocking how gorgeous that state is uh you know i've been to salt lake before obviously i've been to bonneville and all that stuff but i had never been through um exploring kind of the middle section of that state i had never been through like moab and all that stuff i was absolutely fucking just blown away it is it's like another planet really it's just gorgeous so Anyway, uh, yeah, some of that comes through in some of the photos that Chris included. So hop onto the site, check it out for yourself. All right, let's do some Q&A real quick. Then we're going to say adios. Uh, I want to share a little note, like I mentioned before. Uh, Frank from uh, the uh, Bias Plaid Drags and uh, Gators, uh, he sent, through, sent a little note through um, a few weeks back, a little follow-up about the Bias Plaid Drags. So he says, hey, Jake, uh, thank you for dedicating an episode of the Bias Ply Drags last month. A lot of people mentioned that they had heard it. Uh, as you requested, I wanted to shoot you a super short follow-up regarding the event. Um, so please find the result attached. Uh, if desired, I could really flush it out, but I thought this was about the right length to not monopolize an entire episode. And he... He uh, included this little note here. So here's what he said. Uh, he says, we said we were going to do hot rod three, hot rod things. And did we ever? December 9th, 2023, we held the bias fly drags. On the day of the event, the Santa Ana winds showed up. It was cold. It was windy. We got started later than we wanted, and the timing system failed to cooperate for most of the night. And those were just a few of the issues that we had. However, for a brand new event in a at a brand new track, it was a success. Everyone that came out proved that they wanted to get their cars out and use them. We had 90 cars come out to the event, which is a standing track record. Uh, thank you to everyone that helped and offered to help. Uh, this event is for us, by us, and you did not disappoint. Uh, thank you, Jake from the Iron and Steel podcast for helping us spread the word. Uh, and special thanks to Ricky Hartman, 
who got us the timing, got us the light towers uh, to run at night. That's cool. Uh, he goes on to say, I'm hesitant to thank others <clears throat> because I don't want to accidentally uh, leave someone out. But know that if you were present, uh, if you were present, we are grateful. So the concept has been proven and we will do another one. Ideally, it will be held on a summer night this time, so stay tuned. In the meantime, get your pre-1960 heaps tuned up for the next Bias Ply Drags. Awesome. Thank you, uh, Frank, very much for that. Uh, also, I want to say thank you for sending me the uh, t-shirt. The um, it was nice enough to send me one of the event t-shirts. And uh, it's killer. I wear it all the time. On that uh, same subject, Frank, please, if you're listening, uh, please let me know the dates or the date of the next Bias Ply Drags uh, well in advance if you can. And uh, I will make a genuine uh, effort to attend because uh, it looked like a great time. So please keep me posted and uh, I will make a sincere effort to attend the next Bias Ply Drags. Okay. Got some Q&A going down here in just a moment. I did want to share, <clears throat> excuse me, I did want to share one more note uh, that somebody sent through that I really appreciated. I get quite a few messages uh, a week, you know, probably a dozen or so unsolicited messages from people who are nice enough just to take the time to say that they enjoy the podcast or enjoy the site. Um, this one in particular stood out, and so I just wanted to share it with you guys. Uh, I'm going to leave this person's name out just because I didn't ask his permission uh, to share this necessarily, and uh, you know I don't want to bum anybody out. So I'm going to redact a couple things out of this, but uh, here's the gist of what it says. Um, he says, Jake, I have to say that your podcast is slowly restoring my sanity during my brutal commute from Everett to Renton, Washington, five days a week. Your jaded yet humorous delivery and, and self-deprecating tone uh, makes me think that we are brothers from other mothers, even though I have 10 years on you. <clears throat> Please keep it up and don't change. And I thought this is interesting. He says, I tried listening to and I'm going to leave the name of the podcast out. I don't recognize the name of the podcast just because uh, I don't really listen to car podcasts because um, I'm fucking weird. But anyway, he says, I tried listening to this podcast uh, with an interview with, and I'm going to leave the name of this person out too because he's a pretty well-known uh, name. But the, the gist is, I tried listening to this other podcast with an interview with this person, and uh, it was just annoying. There's a bunch of slap dicks, which I think you took that little term from me, so thank you very much. <laughs> uh, it was annoying. It was just a bunch of slap dicks and sponsorship plugs. Uh, fuck that. So just tell the stories like you're currently doing. It is a winning formula. Thank you. Uh, thank you very much for that. <clears throat> so like I mentioned, I do receive periodic notes, uh, nice little words of encouragement uh, from people pretty frequently and I do really really appreciate that it does it takes a little bit of time you know look this is as low production as it gets 
low stress, low key, almost zero bullshit when it comes to podcasts uh, as it gets. Like there's not a ton of production. It doesn't take, you know, a lot of time, but keeping the site going, uh, getting, sifting through people's emails, taking their stories, um, editing them, put it, you know, loading them up, you know, on the backside of my site, putting the photos up, turning it into something that looks presentable, making that go live, uh, and then recording this, having it be somewhat palatable, you know, all that stuff, and then making it available. It, it, it takes a little bit of time. Um, it doesn't take as much time as some of these other podcasts. I know that because I put, you know, not, not that I don't put effort into it, but I don't take it super seriously. This isn't what I do for a living. So it keeps the stress and everything pretty low. The point is all that to say, it still does take some time to put this stuff together. And uh, sometimes, honestly, I don't feel like doing it that week. I don't, and sometimes I don't, <laughs> right? So, but it does take some time. Sometimes I don't feel like doing it. Sometimes I'm super jacked about um, doing it and other times I'm not. And the point is notes like that, little messages like that mean a lot. So thank you to that person who shall remain anonymous. Uh, and thank you to everybody that's uh, sent me notes um, over the last almost year and a half or so that we've been doing this. <clears throat> okay. Let's jump into some Q&A and then we're gonna say adios. Uh, let's just uh, hop right in. First question is, it just says, is it worth the small fortune that it would cost to have a cherry set of 50 Merc wheels reversed and chromed? Uh, is it worth the small fortune to have 50 Merc wheels reversed and chromed? Uh, I don't know what that would cost and I don't know what kind of car you're putting together, but um, you know, I would imagine that's a couple grand worth of uh, hoops to jump through by the time you had somebody professionally uh, reverse some wheels and then chrome them like chrome's crazy. So um, I'm gonna speculate maybe that's a couple thousand bucks. So here's what I have to say. I'm gonna refer to um, something that my friend Robbie told me uh, fairly recently, and you guys that listen to this podcast, or if you know me, <clears throat> you know that I mention Robbie pretty often. Uh, very close friend, you know, somewhat of a mentor, uh, someone I look up to, you know, and have looked up to for uh, the, I guess, ah, shit, I don't know, 15, 16, god damn, it's been a long, long time, 15 to 17 years that I've known him. Uh, yeah. I've learned a lot from this guy. And so uh, one thing that he said to me that kind of came to mind when I read this uh, was this. So let me frame it. I was bitching about spending some money. It was a fairly significant amount of money for what it was. I think it was like a $1,500 set of hubcaps for a car. And I kept getting hung up on spending that kind of money uh, to find and buy these expensive hubcaps. But it's what this particular car needed. I knew that I was just hung up on the money and was looking for a deal. Um, the deals didn't exist and I was just kind of dragging my feet, not pulling the trigger. And uh, so one night I was 
talking to Robbie about it and uh, I was bitching about spending the 1500 bucks and he goes, dude, are you going to let $1,500 keep you from having a cool car? And that kind of stuck with me, kind of like, huh. I mean, that's that's really it. You're going to let 1500 bucks stand in the way of having a bitching car? Like, what's your problem? So, you know, sometimes we just kind of need a little nudge like that. Uh, you know, 1500 bucks or a couple thousand bucks to have the exact wheels that you want that's going to complete your car and, and put the tie the whole package together. Uh, you know, it's not my money that I'm spending, but uh, in this case, I would say, yeah, go for it. So, you know, nothing makes or breaks a car like wheels and tires and stance. It does not matter the car. Wheels and tires will make it or absolutely fucking destroy it. So if you're hung up on a set of uh, chromed reverse 50 Merc wheels, like I get it. That sounds bitchin' and uh, you should probably just sack up and uh, spend the money. Don't let the money keep you from having a bitchin' car. That's what it boils down to. <clears throat> All right. Next question is, what would be a great starter hot rod on a budget? I always, uh, I always like when I get questions like this. It's one of my favorite things to talk about. I talk about it a lot. <laughs> my answer is always the same. 3031 Model A Coupe, period. Bitch, you can make just an absolutely bitchin' hot rod out of a 3031 Model A Coupe, and they are not a lot of money. And I talk about this in quite a few articles and podcast episodes. Um, the main one that you need to focus on reading for sure is, it's called Get Some Patience Now. And in that story, I talk all about how if you can squirrel $7,000 together, and have a little patience. Um, you can go out there and find a bitchin' deal on a great car. Uh, Model A Coupe, older restoration that runs and drives. Um, in most cases, already upgraded to hydraulic brakes. You know, somebody else has already done all this. Maybe it's a backyard restoration from 25 years ago, but it's an actual car that runs and drives. Um, you know, they want nine grand for it. You go over there, offer him 7,500 bucks, bring that thing home, uh, pull the fenders off, pull the headlight bar off, wheels and tires that you're not gonna run, all the stock bullshit, pull it off, sell it, make 2,000 bucks back, uh, and then buy all the shit that you want to turn it into a hot rod. And the end result is a killer hot rod for less than 10,000 bucks. That's the way to do it. Uh, I've done it multiple times. Uh, the very first hot rod that um, I saw all the way through was a 31 Model A Coupe. I talk about it all the time. It's the car that I miss the most. Um, and it was just a great example of a winning formula, really, of how to put together a hot rod for pretty cheap. So <clears throat> a lot of guys like to drag home rusty bodies on a pallet, you know, pay 4500 bucks for you know, some pile of shit that you've got to put a bunch of patch panels in and, uh, you know, build a car out of. When in reality, if you can squirrel away a little bit more money and have a little bit more patience, uh, you can score a really good car. 
to build a, a great hot rod out of and, and being it cheap. So a great starter hot rod on a budget, 30, 31 Model A Coupe all day long. That's always gonna be my advice. Uh, next question, uh, wasn't a question, just says missed you at GNRS. Uh, yeah, wasn't able to make it. Uh, I had a question too about what I do for a living. <laughs> so these two are sort of related. Obviously iron and steel is not what I do for a living. So uh, we have some investment properties, rentals and whatnot. And the reason that I couldn't make it to the Grand National Roadster show was we like a week before, which we had already had reservations and uh, you know, uh, boarding and all that stuff set up for my dog to, you know, we're gonna drive down there, spend a couple of weeks in Palm Springs, go to the show, board the dog, go to the show for a day or two, uh, and do that whole thing. So we had gotten a notification out of the blue that uh, one of our tenants was moving out on the third, which is the day of the show, <clears throat> or the maybe the day after, no, day of the show, Saturday. So uh, yeah, they're moving out and uh, basically, when someone moves out, I want to be there to secure the property right away, make sure that there's nothing on fire or uh, devastatingly wrong with it. I, I want to know um, what it's going to take, you know, what I'm looking at as far as uh, rehabbing it and getting it rent ready again. So when they sent the notice through uh, that they were moving out on the third, that was it. I just, I've got to go secure the property. Um, another reality of vacant of rentals and vacancies and all this stuff is especially up here in Oregon and in, in the Portland area um, it's like the Wild West you could someone could move out of your house you don't get to it for 10 days or whatever and you pull up and like somebody could be living in it just like squatting so yeah I needed to be sure that the I could secure the property and, and make sure everything was all right so I had to do that and uh, yeah, so Misty at GNRS, yeah, it sucked. I really wanted to see the uncertainty. It was right around the time that they gave notice um, that they uh, it was announced on uh, social media or whatever that they had found the uncertainty. And so I was pretty bummed um, that I wasn't gonna be able to see that because I knew it was gonna debut and of course it did. So <clears throat> yeah, next year. Uh, will you be at the Portland swap meet this year? I've never been. What can I expect? Uh, I've been asked this question fairly recently. I don't know, honestly, if I'm going to go to the Portland swap meet this year. Um, the one thing you can expect is rain for sure and uh, shitty weather. And if it's anything like last year, you can expect rude, absolute rude staff. And I don't know what if it was just a fluke thing or what, but uh, I was unimpressed last year uh, with the Portland Swap Meet. I've never encountered so many rude people uh, in my life. And I don't mean the, the shoppers or the vendors. Uh, I mean the people that work there. And I've said this uh, to quite a few people and I've heard quite a few people say the same thing. And in fact, I ran into someone uh, out of the blue. I was up there looking at at this place looking at uh, trying to buy some car parts he was handling an estate of somebody that had passed away and the subject of the swap meet came up and uh, I said yeah I don't know that I'm gonna go this year because last year uh, was just one of the worst experiences I think I've had anywhere ever uh, as far as dealing with rude staff 
And a lot of my friends said the same thing and I've heard strangers say the same thing. And the person that I said that to hung his head and said, yeah, I've heard that. And he said, uh, I just happened to be on the board for the Portland Swap Meet. And that has been a subject that has come up many, many times since last year. So yeah, anyway, I don't know. It seems like swap meets in general are getting um, less, <laughs> less amazing. You know, you used to go to swap meets and find just like, you know, there are still exceptions, but the Portland swap meet used to be absolutely killer. It was a mecca. Uh, and it just doesn't seem that way to me anymore. So a lot of bullshit, a lot of vendors selling stuff that is not car related. Uh, or selling junk, selling bullshit that they dragged out of their barn, uh, you know, selling tools, just shit, tchotchkes and bullshit, you know, you've got to wade through a lot of that uh, to get to the good stuff, <clears throat> which is few and far between anymore, and then, the, you know, on top of that, to deal with the weather, and then especially after last year, dealing with the staff, watching multiple staff members just scream and yell at people, and tell them, I'm going to I'll kick you out of here, kick your ass out of here faster than you can vote. Like, it was a major turnoff. So, uh, yeah. Am I going to be at the Portland Swan Meet this year? I do not know if that's going to be happening or not. But, uh, yeah. If you go, I, <laughs> I wish you well. Um, next question is, do you consider classic cars, do you consider classic cars as investments? Absolutely not. No, I don't. The only time a classic car, in my opinion, is an investment is if you get just an absolute screaming, no-brainer deal. Uh, that's the only way I buy cars. So <laughs> in some ways, uh, maybe mine are, quote, investments. But uh, what I tell people when I get asked that question is I buy the stuff that I like and if I wake up tomorrow and a 36 Ford is just a pile of shit car that nobody likes anymore and I couldn't sell it to save my life, um, if I wake up tomorrow and that's the case, it's like, at least I like it. So that's kind of how I look at it. I don't necessarily look at them as investments. That's not always, uh, it's not always going to be the case. You know, there's different trends and market shifts and all that stuff so I just buy what I like I make sure I get a good deal and uh, I don't think too much about it I think anybody um, trying to justify buying an old car as an investment is I think that's a fool's errand in my opinion so uh, yeah I do not consider classic cars as investments in general uh, this is the last question and then we'll say our goodbyes. I actually, I got this question uh, a couple of months ago and I just kind of put it on the back burner. I thought a lot about it. And uh, something happened to me recently that made me revisit this question. So I'm gonna share, uh, I'll share that in just a, a quick little, quick little quip, a little story, something that happened to me that uh, is relevant to this question. The question that came through, and again, this was quite a while back. I just never addressed it until now. The question was, what's your best piece 
of non-car related advice that you can give to a young person? So initially when I got that question, uh, I thought it was pretty interesting. I thought a lot about it and I had a whole kind of spiel lined up about um, things that are, I think important, which are, you know, some things that I've learned, which are like uh, not being afraid to cut people off if they're not adding any value to your life, right? Uh, not being afraid to have a small circle, not being afraid to remove yourself from environments that aren't benefiting you in some way or situations that aren't um, healthy or uh, just in general, it was like uh, not being afraid to just tell everyone to fuck off if they're, you know, if they're not adding any value to your life, not monetary value, but actual human interaction, uh, good if, if they're not adding good to your life, um, don't be afraid to tell them to fuck off. And that was pretty much the gist of this rambling uh, answer that I had constructed in my head. <clears throat> Since then, I think the best piece of advice I can give to a young person that's not car related is slow the fuck down. And here's why. This is something that happened to me about a month and a half ago now. I was driving through the parking lot at a grocery store. Uh, I had apparently inadvertently, I was on the phone with my wife, uh, had apparently inadvertently like cut in front of somebody, you know, in a parking lot though. Like the stakes are, it was meaningless. So this car stops because I cut in front of them or whatever, <clears throat> flips me off, I'm on the phone, flips me off, yells, you know, F you, whatever. I blow my door open and do the same thing back because, you know, that's just what you do. And I'm on the phone and I open my door. Yeah, fuck you too. Slam my door. And I'm talking to my wife and three seconds go by and the people in that car, two dudes, were at my door in seconds, screaming, yelling, get out of the truck, let's fucking go, blah, blah, blah. I roll down my window, I tell my wife, hey, let me call you back. Roll down the window and they're at the window, just foaming at the mouth. Two young guys, probably, you know, early 30s, late 20s, whatever. Every single, you know, everything you can imagine. Fuck you, blah, 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 and, you know, and I'm screaming back at them and all this shit. And they're, you know, they want me to try to get out of the truck so they can jump me. They're both gonna just, you know, they want to fight, but they don't want to fight fair. They're a couple of, you know, young guys out looking for a problem and they just found it. Now they want to, you know. So anyway, screaming at these guys, they're screaming at me, fuck you, fuck you. I'm telling them, hey, back up, let me out of the truck and, you know, whatever. They're, you know, they're just going to jump me as soon as I open the door. So <clears throat> this goes on for a few minutes. We're screaming at each other. And the guy's got his hand in his hoodie. In his, the, it's like a pullover hoodie with a pocket in the front. And the guy's got his hand in his hoodie. He's alluding to the fact that he has a gun and all this stuff. Well, I do have a gun. It's in my hand. They can't see that because I'm still seated in my truck. You know, the stakes are high. And I'm thinking like, okay, if, these, if this guy's got a gun, 
then, you know, the second I see it, I'm going to kill this motherfucker. So somewhere in the middle of all this screaming and yelling and my dogs barking and everyone in the parking lots, you know, stopping and then running away and people are calling the cops and it's a bad deal. Something in my head just clicked. And I said to the main guy that was at my door, I said, I think you ought to get back in your car and we should just forget about the whole thing. And he goes, no, you need to get out of the truck and blah, 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 and let's fucking go. And he's just screaming and yelling. And I said, one of us is gonna die in the Fred Meyer parking lot tonight and the other is gonna go to jail for a really long time. So we can sit here and keep going and figure out which is gonna be which, but I think we should just say, hey, fuck you, fuck you. We carry on with our lives. So eventually he calms down and agrees that it's probably best if we just say, hey, whatever, carry on with our night. They get in their car. So one last fuck you from both sides. They get in their car and drive away. A week later, I'm at the beach and I pull up my phone. And I'm on the news site, you know, KGW, whatever it is. <clears throat> and one of the headlines is uh, that there was a shooting about a mile from my house, which is unusual in a pretty rural area. You know, bad shit happens, but it's not a it's not a murder area, right? Like there's not a lot of like crime that way, like major crime. So I thought, oh, that's interesting. And it's, I knew right where it was, right down the road at a store that I go to, you know, or drive past pretty often. So the next day I was thinking about that and uh, I pulled up the news article and they had updated the story. And it said, man, you know, man identified in, uh, you know, Friday night shooting or whatever. And I look at the picture and it's the fucking kid that was standing at my door telling me that he had a gun and all this stuff, which in my experience usually means that they don't. But it was the kid that was sitting there screaming and yelling at me and, uh, you know, telling me like, you know, what he's going to do and all this stuff. And yeah, it was that kid. So obviously this was a theme for him and his buddy to go out and try to pick fights. And uh, I kind of had the feeling that I kind of let him know like man you should probably calm down and think a little bit about what you're doing because you know basically you might run into somebody with a little less patience than I have and uh yeah just a few days later he did and uh it said in the article that he was involved in multiple altercations and was out basically being a cock and uh getting into fights and somebody didn't like that that he picked a fight with and uh they fucking shot him, killed him. So that is my best piece of advice to a young person. Slow down. And I totally get it. I was just like that kid sitting there screaming and yelling and wanting to fight, uh, you know, all, all growing up. That, that was me too. And at a certain point, you're going to realize that uh, you need to slow down. You know, you start getting more established. You start having more things to lose. Uh, 
things become more important. Other things become less important. Like parking lot uh, altercations and fights and shootings. So that is my best piece of best piece of non-car related advice for a young person. Slow down. All right, kind of went off on a tangent there, but uh, is what it is. You guys, don't be shy about sending your stories through. Email them to me, jake at ironandsteel.com. Send me your questions, comments, concerns. Uh, as you just heard, doesn't even necessarily have to be car related. <laughs> all right, you guys, thank you all so much again. Uh, Chris, thank you again for that great story. I really enjoyed it. Go to the website, you guys, uh, ironandsteel.com. Check out Chris's story firsthand. Check out the photos uh, and email me, jake at ironandsteel.com. All right, let's call it. Thank you all again so much. I mean that genuinely. Uh, and I will speak to you all again in exactly seven days. Peace.